Welcome to Disrupt You. This is the show where we'll hear what changes are headed to colleges and universities in all departments. We'll learn what innovation really means in higher education. Welcome back to Disrupt You. Dustin, how was your weekend? No, who I are say, you today? Not, I'm not Dustin. I am Mark Zuckerberg. And for some reason, I had a great idea that there should be an Instagram for teens. Um, Instagram just for, I thought that was a good idea for some reason. Um, actually, I guess the entire public and every human being disagreed with me. What do you think, Aaron? Should there be an Instagram for teens out there? Mm. Is that, is that I mean, a good thing? I don't, I don't know. I don't think so because, uh, all I, I, I can't, we can't even go into that day. We've got too much to talk about. I can't okay. go into that today. All okay. right. Well, you are a regular human being. That's not a yes person <laughs> for Mark Zuckerberg that thinks it's a good idea. So fantastic. I'm excited awesome. for the show. What are we talking about today, Aaron? Me too. Um, we are going to dig into um, an area that I think Dustin and I are really interested in, um, but we don't have a whole ton of knowledge around it. And so we are excited for our expert today because we're going to talk a little bit more um, about subscription-based models for higher ed, but also just, I think, thinking differently, thinking outside of the box, different types of learners, different types of mediums. I'm really excited um, because our guest has a lot of um, really unique um, history and experience. And so I'm excited to invite uh, Dr. Amy Smith today. And she has been involved in academia for over 25 years. Uh, it looks like she started teaching in urban high schools, which was really cool. Um, but most recently, she's been the academic deans of University of Phoenix and Capella, um, but also the associate vice provost at Colorado State University Online, which is a huge online university. Um, and then um, is now the chief learning officer at Straighter Line. And so I'm really excited to get to know more about this, but also my, my first question for you, because as I was reading through your history, I was like, oh my gosh, you started this brand new job as the chief learning officer in what looked like January of 2020, <laughs> and then everything changed. The whole world changed. So talk to us a little bit about you and also what was that experience like? Uh, right. And so you start a new job, which is enough change, right? And then the world, um, it, it takes a turn 90 degrees to the left. And you think, <laughs> all right, how do I navigate that? The cool, if I could be positive about it, the coolest thing was what a great time to be in online ed. I mean, mm -hmm. think about it, like massively schools are trying to figure out how to sustain courses, keep students learning, retain. What are we going to do about enrollments? And are we having graduation this year? Like what's all this going to look like? Right. And the best part is those of us who've been in online ed for decades, we get to step up. We get to consult colleagues. We get side conversations and coffee chats and you know, an adult beverage on a Friday night about what's going on in their schools and how we can help. So for me, the transition was smooth, elegant, and wonderful. But the best part was I got to help the field of higher ed. I got to help all of these other deans and provosts who are in my network figure out how to move online and keep their student and serve their students. I mean, it was a great time. It really was. Yeah, that's, really a, that's a really great perspective on that. I love it. Thank you. I almost related to, I always think of like 2008, 2009 during the recession, the, there was this, all this talk about like all the talking heads, like 
not even bad at it. I, I, I try to project the future all the time and Aaron <laughs> gets on me all the time, but it, all these like talking heads were saying that there would be no more big vehicles, right? That 0809 would be the end of all big vehicles. So a lot of manufacturers stopped with that and started with small cars. And then after a few years, the big cars came back and people said, told you so, right? Things aren't going to change like they had. And then you see nowadays, just wait over a, just a little bit of a turn and we get all this hybrid and smaller vehicles mm -hmm. and electric vehicles and whatnot. So it wasn't, right? So so I'm curious if this time, this, this COVID time of more online learning, more virtual learning will say, okay, there may be a quick comeback, but looking at five years in the future, man, I'm going to say you're going to be on the winning side. If you have your feet on online learning, virtual learning, you are in the pool that I want to be in for sure. So that's, that's great. Well, we've seen some of that, right? So mm -hmm. when, you, when you think about everybody went, everybody went online two things actually really happened that, that the research and the data has shown us. One thing was the acceptance of online just increased. Mm -hmm. Like everybody debated it and wondered, well, now if you got to do it, you got to do it, right? If you want to keep moving or get educated or get into workforce or change your job, whatever your life goal is, you, get, you just have to do it. Mm -hmm. So we've seen that for sure. And so what's happening now is community colleges in four years, they're seeing hybrids and online requests in much more volume. Mm -hmm. So they're absolutely still going back to face-to-face -face. like that's always there's there's always going to be an Alabama and an Ohio State like those really aren't going anywhere right mm -hmm. but the people who may not have opted for a hybrid or online maybe their early college or they're a freshman sophomore are now really thinking about it it became super convenient mm -hmm. to do your college algebra homework in your pajamas on Friday night at midnight like there's a little bit of that that actually really works right absolutely so, yeah, we're, so I think uh, I think it's here to stay. The nice thing is now everybody's worried about how do we do it well, and that's mm -hmm. the best conversation, right? Yep. So now let's figure out how we serve students really well in this in this medium. Yeah, I'd like to throw out a question, and I, I Dr. Smith, I'd love to hear your thoughts on tell me where I'm right, tell me where I'm wrong. Where something I'm big on is the cost structure of higher ed. I think we are at from a national aspect. I think it's an issue. I think it's a huge issue. I think. I'm very fortunate. I was, I was a Pale Grant student. So I knew that I was fortunate. The government said, hey, this poor ginger should have an opportunity to go get an education, right? And I just see so much now the increased cost of education is just limiting that, that doorway for, for 18-year-olds all the way to 45-year-olds to say, hey, I want to get into a field. I want to change fields. What's your thoughts on opportunities moving forward to disrupt sort of that financial barrier that seems to be growing every year in higher ed? Yeah, thank you. It's a great question. So let's go back to that trend that you just noted. People are kind of thinking about how to move in their career. Mm -hmm. That's the second phenomenon we saw during COVID. So one in five students in all of higher ed changed their major to go to a career-oriented major. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't mean that they weren't maybe in business, but really they were super focused on what am I going to do two years after an associate's degree to keep me moving and get paid. So they're thinking finances is my point, exactly what you're asking, right? And it's totally not sustainable. So U.S. government floods Pell and everybody becomes eligible in the mid 2000s. So mm -hmm. that floods money into the market. What does that do? That lets states actually not have to pay so much for higher ed, particularly for state schools. Mm -hmm. So they withdraw funding and then the Fed is funding, but it's funding through students at whose cost? Students. Like mm -hmm. now the burden's on them. So where you used to have some systems that balance the student cost and the, the institution cost, state cost, it doesn't anymore. And it's ultimately not sustainable. I mean, think about it. The whole financial 
financial structures of higher ed is decentralizing. Yep. You've got alternative credit markets coming in. You've got OPMs helping people with enrollment, new fundings, new grants, Pell grants. You've got entire proposals in the Fed government right now about let's just do free community college. Mm-hmm. We're trying it in Tennessee and Georgia. So let's do it. It's working. It's working in the state of Georgia. Let's do it. So I think it's not, I agree with you. It's totally not sustainable. And then what happens when you, when you really look at a university, what's it's, what's it's street cred, what's it's value, the degree. Well, what if I'm Google and I'm AWS and Amazon and I decide to do my own degree? Well, that's a disruption. <laughs> now, you, now the whole game is different. I'll pause with that because I can geek out on that question all day. Man, this is one thing, Erin, I'm going to let Erin come in here because she she hears me talk about this all the time, even pre-COVID. All right, Erin can jump in here. Pre-COVID, I was in these like innovation groups and whatnot. I was saying by 2025, Google is going to eat our lunch. They are going to eat our lunch. And like Erin just shakes her head because I'm a little too extroverted and too extra sometimes. But now COVID escalated that. Erin, what, what are your thoughts? Where are you today on this Google eating our lunch? Well, and you know, I don't disagree I, I just think it pushes us to say we have to do something different. Mm -hmm. And if we sit back and just allow, like if we sit back and I'm not saying allow them to do it, I mean, whatever. Okay. But we have to allow ourselves to adapt to what it is that Google or AWS is offering students. So what is that, that they're offering what, and, and we have to understand what we're offering and be able to communicate that. That's my big thing is that if we truly believe in a liberal arts education and this bachelor's degree, which I do believe we still believe in that we, but we have to be able to tell students why that's important tell students why an employer wants that tell students why that's value added to their life or to their career. Um, and I don't know that we're, I don't know that we're communicating that as a whole as higher ed enough right now over, you can get this certificate from Google in three months and this whole list of companies will hire you right away at $85,000. I mean, that's, that's what those Google certificates are doing for students. And so it's like, how do we, recalibrate rethink about how we could about what we're offering and how that's different and how do we tell that story i don't know what your thoughts are about that but <laughs> i think it's just one i think one takeaway is and this comes back to some really cool stuff i want to talk to dr smith about is that google's doing that subscription right just that Boswell you were yeah. talking about is that subscription model um you have a question about that boswell about yeah completion time? Mm-hmm. Well, how do we think subscriptions will change completion time? Will, will they change completion time if they do? And do, how does this disrupt the old model of semesters and four years and, and um, you know, getting to completion that way? Great question. I love this one. Okay. So think about it. In higher education, an undergraduate degree, right? The degree is the four year. That's your, that's what your, that's your you know, your collateral. I have a degree. Mm-hmm. But what the Googles of the world and subscription models do is it's not, the value isn't in the end the, you also get value along the way. Oh, great so you point. Along the way and you earn credit along the way. And here's the best part as adult learners, you get to decide your time frame. Mm-hmm. You get to fit it into your life, not your life wrapping around school. It completely changes. It's, it's the definition of student centric model, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think what's going to happen is anytime you're looking at a student journey in an undergrad degree, a bachelor's degree, they, there are places to drop off. I could drop off right after I applied and I never came. 
Oh my gosh, I did my first semester, bombed it. I'm not coming back. Oh, first year drop-off, second year drop-off. And then you lose juniors and seniors because they can't pick up that prereq from gen ed, get into a psych 101, what, graduate, or life just takes over, right? Mm -hmm. So subscription models capture people all the way through that funnel drip. That's what's so cool. Like you don't lose people. You have a place for them to rest up on the highway of their journey of going to school, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what's so awesome. So you, your funnel drip changes a little bit. Your retention goes up. Your persistence can go up. And I can persist at my rate. I get to decide how fast I do this. And hey, what about the classes where I already know stuff because I learned it in my job? Mm -hmm. I can just speed right up through those, take my midterm, take my final and be done and then spend the time in the classes I don't know so well. Right. So that yeah. changes the entire funding model. And I drive the funding model. I am the driver of the price per se, because it's about what I need when I need it in a way I choose to do it. It's about me as a student. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Like owning the time that it takes, owning the time that it costs uh, or the time that it costs the, the, the money that it costs. Um, yeah. I love that. Thanks for that perspective. I got, I, I got, I got to share this. So, um, this past week, this past week, I presented at a conference, an academic higher ed conference. And one of the elements of that was talking about where, when I'm trying, I'm testing this thing and, and Dr. Smith, I, I, there's something you said just rings with me. I want to hear your thoughts. So after one class, he's a social media class. And after that one class, you get a blockchain certificate saying the things you've learned in that one class. Right. And that's what it is. It's, it's decentralized that you talked about it. You own it. It's just one class. It's not a bachelor's degree. It's one class. But the idea is, and what I pitched in this, this keynote was, you know, when you pass this one class, you shouldn't have to wait until you graduate four years from now. You can pitch yourself for part-time jobs, full-time jobs, whatever the case may be, because you know, Google Analytics, you know, these skills. And there was a, there was a question. There's a question from the audience that I want to hear your thoughts. I almost lost it. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> this is exactly what I'm talking about. The question was, <clears throat> aren't you afraid that that student won't come back? Aren't you afraid of retention of that student not coming back and finishing if they can get a full-time job with your one class? I'm going to stop for a sec because I got heated. I got, oh, I went on for this for like, I stopped. I think I missed a couple of slides because like, oh my God, I got to, I got to hit this question. But actually, I want to give you that question. Why, what, what's the, if we're talking about in subscriptions on the same exact process, right? Why, if you get the first job, why would you, aren't you worried about them not coming back? What's your response to that? But that's exactly your job. Our job is to educate them for what they decide. That's our job, right? Like the whole premise of higher education isn't set up for me as an institution. It's set up for the student, even though there are a lot of barriers as to get through it. So if a student wants to stop for a bit, take that credential and then go move in career or change careers, that's our job. That's the mission and purpose and function of why we get out of bed in the morning, right? And then here's the best part. We know that if, when we build something stackable like that, we can shorten a journey or we can lengthen a journey, but they're ours for life. They came, they came to the institution, they learned, they took a credential and they were successful. They are so bonded to that institution because of that. You actually end up, they come back to you, word of mouth, friends come to you. So I'm not afraid of them not coming back. I'm actually ecstatic that they're off doing what they should be. Go tell 10 people about what you can do here at this place. That's what it's really for. I could go off on this one all day. So I'll yeah. pause with that one. Yeah. And that's such a good point of it. Like we talked about last week about, and we've talked about a couple, couple weeks of, of these rankings, but it's also 
we're we're rating the success of the student by our parameters by this diploma and not by things like i got a raise or i got a better job or i was able to switch jobs into something i really want to do now instead of something i hated you know what what if that was our determining factor of success and not did they finish this diploma i mean that changes the whole game right mm-hmm. yep Totally, completely. That's the best part. And so then when you think about student journey, it's not a four-year journey. It doesn't have to be a six-year journey. It's a life journey, man. And along the journey, you're going to have a whole lot of on-ramps and off-ramps, and we should ultimately create a lot of rest areas so you can pick up when you what you need, when you need it, when you decide. Yep. Students should drive. Students should always drive. That's why I love this, this idea of the subscription model of you know, sure, along the way, there are, you know, I think what we think about first are like bachelor's and master's degrees. I think we're starting at least, you know, the, um, those f- following the conversation and are talking about certificates, but like, Dr. Smith, what do you, and, and Aaron, both of you, I mean, what other things I'm thinking, like, if you want to start a, a, an LLC, an Etsy shop, right, as a side thing, hey, can your subscription teach you the ways of your LLC or when you need um, tax advice or when you need leadership, you just took a role as a manager. Now you need leadership. There can be so many of these like just life sort of courses to take that now right now I'm YouTubing and I'm probably listening to the wrong person on YouTube right now. It'd be great, right? Of these other elements. So subscription models work for every kind of skill. Mm-hmm. And they're not time bound like we do in higher education, right? You don't have to start the term even now. Remember, higher education took a 15 week term and turned it into quarters, 12 weeks mm-hmm. in the 60s and 70s. And then we turned it into 10 weeks and then we grad school and master's. And then we turned it into eight weeks and five weeks trying to figure out the best formula to keep students moving so we don't drop them and lose them. And subscription models, it, it, time is boundless. Mm-hmm. Time is no longer a variable. So if time isn't a variable, then you get to define what that learning is, be it a, a section of leadership or a job skill that you ultimately need, or you're working toward a degree in your coursework at a rate that works for you. And you get to speed up what you know, mm-hmm. and you get to slow down what you need more time on. That's the beauty of a subscription model. And it, you get to define those finances. So not only do you get to define how you do it, you're driving, you also get to define the price point of it. And think about how much lower risk that is for a student. I didn't sign up and take... 15, 12, 15 courses full load and then not pass them and end up with, you know, three, $5,000 worth of debt for an entire semester. The other beauty, I promise I'll stop. The other beautiful thing about subscriptions. Oh my gosh. You get to pause. Mm. You get to pause. You can go like, you know what? I'm having a baby. I need to put this on hold yep. and you put it on hold. There's no transcript with a withdrawal D or a WF or a incomplete or there's no piece of paper that follows your whole journey and talks about how you weren't successful. The only thing, this beauty of subscription models is it talks about how you were successful. It only transcripts success. So if you took failure out, your risk just went way down as a student. So their financial risk goes down. Also the risk of, can I do this? What if I don't get the grades right? What if I don't get the grades I need? Is this class gonna be too hard? Lowers all of that risk. Again, another way to be successful as a student. Yeah, I love it. I mean, 
you're, I mean, what you're talking about, what I'm hearing you say, I mean, this is, this is a system that's basically working across all industries. You know, mm-hmm. I'm a big fan that I, I, I do also keynotes for corporations and, and I say, you got to figure out how to make a subscription model for toasters. I don't care what it is, what industry you're in, because it's working for 82% of households have Amazon Prime. How I don't know what percent have Netflix, but it's exactly what you're saying where I don't have to commit to a year of traditional, you know, dish or direct TV. And there's a cancellation fees. If you right, like this, this new system of subscriptions is definitely the case. And I, I want, so I want to ask you a question specifically on a, on a specific target market of students. So one area, there's multiple areas that in my opinion, 2025 is the year, right? Boswell is going to laugh. Cause I keep saying that's the year. That's like the Armageddon year that you have to either figure your shit out or you're going to be in tough, tough water. So, but one of the reasons is there's less 18 year olds, right? We just know that just factually, there's going to be less 18 year olds there because you're going backwards to the recession. So um, you got issues there. And so a lot of organizations, a lot of schools are looking at uh, adult learners, adult learners that may have taken a little bit of school in the past, but stopped and have been in a career for 10 years. And now they're thinking, maybe it's time to get back into this. So what's your, your thought about the subscription models help this? Do they have a place in this sort of re-engage system, getting students to re-engage in education. They may have been 10 years out. What's your thoughts on that population? Uh, Exactly. So they're built for this population. So there are 36 million people in the United States who have some college and no degree, right? That's a lot of people. And then they're carrying the financial burden, also the socio-emotional burden of like, maybe I didn't finish or I didn't meet whatever goals I set out to do. and, And then there's also that, so can I go back? right? The confidence factor of being a college student. But the beauty of subscription models is you can start anytime. You start every, every day, like at a straighter line, you could literally sign up for a course at 10 o'clock and you're in it by noon. You could go ahead and decide, I'm not going to overcommit. I'm just going to take psych 101. Sociology looks good. What's going on in American government? Maybe I want to take personal finance or I really at work need to work on PL statements and I need to take finance 101. You can just literally sign up for a three credit course and get moving that very day. Mm-hmm. So subscription models help people, those bridge backs, those co- we call them come back to college, right? For whatever reason and why ever they stopped because it, it overcomes barriers for them. Financially, it's affordable. I mean, you could take a class for you know $159. That's way cheaper than 1200 for a community college three credit course. You can start anytime when you decide. The other thing subscription models really do is they've kind of figured out student support and service. Mm. Like, what if you need to take your exam at 6 a.m. before you go to work on Monday? Mm-hmm. How do you do that? And what if I really do want to talk to a counselor on Sunday afternoon? Are they available? So they are basically built as 24-7 support networks. So there's the course and there's curriculum, but then there's the support and village who helps you actually complete it, right? So for all of those bridgebacks and stopouts coming back, subscription models offer t- flexibility, they really do. Pliability, affordability. They also help with confidence because you can go at a pace that helps you feel successful, right? Mm-hmm. And they come with significant support structures, big support structures. So I get my own personal village in a way that I define at a price point that I can actually fit for like a really nice birthday dinner out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we know from subscription models that the average car course takes usually four to six weeks to finish. So I don't have to take 15 weeks to finish a course or 12. I can do it in a month, 
well, I can see the end of that as an adult. And then think about it. Once you finish a class, okay, I can do two. I could do three. Once you're successful, you're always successful. There's a beauty in that. So I'll pause with that. I could geek out on this one too all day. I, I really love what you say about I sign up at 10 and I'm in my class by noon because I'm sure as you know this from working in online education, that funnel, I think the biggest hole in that funnel that drains out is that waiting period. It's that I'm really excited. I signed up. We see that all the time, you know, where it's almost like you don't want them to sign up too far in advance because you'll never, they'll drain out of that funnel. You know, there's like a leak in the side of the online funnel. I almost is that waiting period, but you know, the ones that sign up the last two weeks before they stay that, you know, they they're engaged, right. You know, as quick as possible in a traditional funnel model. But I love that you're saying in a subscription model, <laughs> that's only two weeks there are two, two hours. The odds of them falling out for waiting is, is so slim. You know, they might not love it. They might not, you know, but they might love it and they have much more of a chance to get started in a two hour gap than in a two week or, two, you know, two month or what, whenever they sign up. Um, yeah, I never, I never really thought about that, but that that's really so telling. You don't lose them. So the school doesn't lose them. So then they stay bonded yeah. to the university. They identify with the, with the university or the college. They see themselves that way and they get started. So the beauty of subscriptions, particularly when they partner with the university, they become a placeholder. Mm-hmm. We'll hold and be the ecosystem for your students to get moving while we matriculate them into the university. Like that's the coolest thing because universities aren't set up to, and they're just not, they're not set up to do that. Right. And yeah. so you just, you don't lose the funnel becomes tighter. The identity t- toward the student becomes stronger and student identity and confidence around being a college student. Cause I started when I wanted to, and I got to use my motivation to be successful um, is deeper and richer. It's, it's a real positive. Yeah. And I would have to imagine that the reducing the risk increases the funnel Yeah, yeah. at the top, you know, mm-hmm. because you're not saying, yes, I'm signing up for a four-year degree. That's a big step. You know, if you are deep into life with children and a job and it's mm-hmm. a big, you know, there's a big thing to jump to say, I'm jumping into this. But the subscription model doesn't feel like that that big of a jump, right? It's a just try it out. And I have to imagine that increases the funnel at the top, right? It I mean, totally, yeah, it totally does. So like an example would be Straighter Line had 40,000 students last year. Like, yeah, how is that even possible? And they're, they are just getting started. They're just coming back and they're successful. And then we help them find or get into or transfer the credit to where they're going. And the best part is you're not... It, it's, we liken it. It's a little bit like healthcare or weight loss. It looks really hard to lose 20 pounds, but two pounds, that's probably pretty doable. Mm-hmm. So you just get moving and then you have the supports to just get moving. It's an, it's an easier yes. And we, you're only, we only transcript success. You're never penalized. If it doesn't work or it doesn't happen, or you have a sick kid or job responsibilities pick up or something happens in life, Nobody, you're never penalized. Nobody ever wrote, wrote down everything that you didn't do. We only wrote, write down what you do accomplish. There's a real so, beauty in that. So talk to me about synchronous um, opportunities within the subscription model. So um, 
opportunities to synchronize live with a faculty member or with feedback or, you know, grading, that kind of thing. What types of synchronous opportunities are you all offering within a subscription model that is, I'm assuming, mostly async? Yeah, that's really normal across yeah. subscription models. So subscription models always have really fast turnaround times on grading and evaluation because feedback from faculty mm -hmm. on your paper or your case study in your business class or your lab report, super important. Here's the best part. Subscription models allow you to submit multiple times. Mm -hmm. So you can submit your paper. Oh my gosh, subscription models have online writing labs on Saturday at 2 a.m. Mm -hmm. Who does that? Subscription models. So subscription models have live tutoring 24 seven in all subjects. Like you wanna do physics, uh, you know, Thursday at four o'clock in the morning before you go to work. Okay, we can do that. And you actually have live humans talking to you. Subscription models have faculty consults. Subscription models also set up cohorts and social collaborations in universities. I think of the WGU model where yeah. they, have, they actually taught, have students talking to each other and they're like baby owls in their academy mm -hmm. program, right? Uh, so they create connectivity across other people trying to do the same thing, start a class, go back to school, work towards a degree. And that's the beauty of subscription models. So they are, they create structures and places for students to stay and get connected in ways that fit the student, not me having to come to campus to get tutored in college algebra at two o'clock on Tuesday while I have to work my job. And, and do you think that subscription models built by higher ed because we naturally want to offer those types of services. We always have, right? We've always, we, we, you have to have a librarian if you're part of our, you know, you have to have access to tutoring. Yeah. Does that create a, a, you know, something that differentiates us from a Google or an AWS, at least right now, um, as, as building it from a higher ed perspective, if you will? Huge. It totally differentiates us. And here's the best part. We got a hundred years of this stuff. We know how to do yeah. this. Like we know how to tutor. We know how to set writing labs up. We know how to make the process seamless. We know how to be an advisor on the end of that phone call or that chat, right? We know how to do it. That's our core competency. We know how to motivate, help take care of and shepherd the learning for adults and students, right? And that may not be what Google's great at and may not be what Amazon's great at. That's our core competency. So that is to be exploited. And the best part is subscription models lean on that. They depend on it. They teach students how to be students because they go, I need the librarian now. Hey, I need some tutoring. They teach you how to ask for help and then get it. And you do it yourself. So yeah. you end up almost more self-directed and more independent as a learner mm -hmm. when you go through a subscription model. You should see the research on it. It's profound. Yeah. yeah. And, and one thing I found was, you know, Maryville, we went from a very traditional model, very, very traditional, you know, our, our core 3000 3,500 students to more than 10,000 students. And one thing was we shifted everything to this 24 hours online support, because we knew that's what you had to do. We knew to, to have these students be successful. We had to do that as I spoke, but one thing is amazing is it made our services better for everyone. It made everything better for our traditional students because our traditional students wanted tutoring at seven in the or two in the morning. Our traditional students needed a librarian at five o'clock when the thick paper was due at nine, you know, they in the morning. And so it's been amazing the way learning to support an online population also is supporting this, this traditional population 
that's changing that went to school online for a year before they got to us because of COVID. And so I have found that it's very secular in terms of how we are continuing to um, make things better for our online students or our non-traditional students also has been teaching us how to better support our traditional students. But that's awesome. That just feeds everybody. That's just a better system for everybody, right. no matter what kind of student you are and no matter how you, you get into and get through school. Yeah. That's, that's really good to hear. I'm not surprised. It's, good to hear. Yeah. But, it, but it's telling to, to, I think very traditional schools still fighting that, that online education piece <laughs> is online education made Maryville better, not not worse. It made us better. It made us stronger for everyone. And because of our, the way we support traditional students, we're able to support online students better. And because of how we support online students, we're able to support traditional students better. And so I think it pushes, it pushes that, you know, you know, that out there, that, that feeling of, well, we can't have online, you know, it's not the same, but no, it is different, but the learning is the same, right? Like we're still, we're still growing. We're still learning. We're still and we're still achieving outcomes, which is the important part, right? Like we're still getting better jobs. We're still getting better pay. That, that's where we're, that's where we got to be focused. I think so. that's, that's what we do for a living, right? So it's not either, or it's not traditional yeah. or high or online it's, and absolutely. And then a student should be able to drive how they want to do it when in a place and time that fits them. Right. And I think COVID just push that forward. I think yeah. we will stop seeing students as traditional or online students. Maybe in 2025, Dustin, right? Uh, <laughs> students will just be students. Mm -hmm. And I think you're right. We're not going to stop offering an in-class option, but we're going to say, if you want to come take it in class, take it in class. If you want to take it online, take it online. If you want to do it via subscription, via, I think it's just going to be much more fluid for lack of better word. And I'm, okay. I'm hearing about, so I'm, I mean, I'm, I've been listening. I've obviously done research before this on straighter line. And Aaron, I think, so I always think of if, if I'm buying or selling something, this is why I think I'm buying on straight line. So I'm trying to think strategically, right? I'm trying to put my strategic CEO hat on right now. And we're talking about this, this target market that are the adult learners. If we know that adult learners are the largest subset moving forward, I'm going to tell you when I was an 18 year old, right? And again, um, Dr. Smith, I try to make every conversation ro rotate somehow back to me. So, uh, so when, I was, when I was an 18 year old, I didn't know the options. I don't know. And I don't know if that's much different today, where I didn't know about the different disruptive, uh, you know, opportunities out there. To tell you the truth, if I knew more about community college, like if I even knew that option, I probably would have done that because of financial barriers, and whatnot. I think at that time, uh, my number one decision maker was finding a romantic partner. Um, and I knew college was a place to do that. So I did that. But I think going for the adult learners, see, that's where I, I, I embarrass Aaron. I take the podcast to a different direction. But I love, what I love about straighter line with adult learners is they, they research their options. They don't just say, what's the closest university or college to me, proximity-wise, and where are my friends going, and where did I go to a good party at? They research the, the different options out there, and there's a lot of options, and that's, I think, a place where straighter line and other disruptive models can really make an impact. Where am I right or wrong there? Is, are we seeing that it's, it is that market, are, is that, and on the same side, is that a funnel? for university? Do you see straighter line as a funnel for enrollment for other or the programs? What do you see there? 
Yeah, we do. So we, uh, we, we are a funnel. We have university partnerships and we serve those partnerships in a variety of ways. One key way is we're just a funnel for new enrollment. We just, you might have a whole set of students who stopped out. They've been gone more than a year. And how do you get them back? And scaling that's hard. You can't just throw humans at the problem. Labor isn't infinite in the United States and budgets aren't infinite, right? So how do you scale reaching out to those students and bringing them back? And then what happens if you were a probationary admit? Like, hey, you know what? You don't have the right criteria. We can't let you in. Where do those students go? Well, what if you had a way to not send them away? What if you had a way to never send a rejection letter again? And you could say, well, here's your path. And you could start with straighter line, take a couple courses and we matriculate you in and you earn your admission. We do partnerships like that. So you don't lose the student. The student is always part of your funnel and it always expands enrollment. We also have partnerships for, I call them in-flight students. They're mid-degree or they're sophomores, juniors, seniors. And all of a sudden they realize, oh my gosh, I need to graduate. What do you mean I didn't get Econ 201? Well, do you have to wait for the next semester or can you pick it up while you're in your current semester? A straighter line, you can pick it up. And so we can actually keep students moving, they're persisting and help you graduate early or on time for in-flights. So there are definite enrollment funnels that we do in partnership, stopouts and uh, probationary admits, but they're also in-flight people we help retain and persist and complete. Let's graduate. Like, let's get done with whatever your goal is. Mm -hmm. Let's get that done. And that's the beauty of alternative, all alternative credit providers. Mm -hmm. You know, we have the luxury of partnering in a way that fits what the college is trying to solve and also can fit when a student and what a student needs at the same time. It's a, it's a cool, sweet spot. Interesting. I like that. I never even thought that that's a good point of even finishing the degree because I'm totally true that I've been in that situation where I have an advisee, right? That has to wait till the next semester. I didn't even think of that. Interesting. Interesting. Very cool. Keep you moving. Well, Dr. Smith, I got, we have one more question for you. We always end our interviews with the, these lat, this lat, the same question every time. But first, before we get there, I want to thank you for taking the time uh, to come on here. I've learned quite a bit about subscriptions. You know, like I said, Aaron and I just talk as if we know everything about subscriptions, but it's good to have someone who actually knows subscriptions. So thank you so much for enlightening us <laughs> on the process. It's been wonderful to be here. I, I'm just grateful for the chance to, to get to speak and to, to get to know you guys too. Awesome. Thanks. All right. So last question. Got it. Okay. Dr. Smith, we're going to give you, uh, disrupt you. We have a huge budget here uh, on the podcast of all the sponsors. We're going to give you a free Super Bowl commercial, okay? It's 30-second commercial. It's worth $5 million. You can put whatever you want in that 30-second commercial. can't be straight or line, okay? So it needs to be something you value, something that you, uh, a message you want to get out to the most watched event in the United States. What do you do? What message do you put in your 30-second Super Bowl commercial? Higher education is for everyone. It's for everyone. Every walk of life, every age, every demographic, set of circumstances, wherever you are at some point, learning is for everybody. And higher education is about access. It's about changing your life. It's about changing who you are. And it's for everyone. There isn't a, I can't go, or I shouldn't, or maybe, or what if, or there's a way to do it. It's for everybody and it fits everyone. I, this is what I get out of bed in the morning. I'm about access and about opportunity. And you get to define what you do with your life. And higher education can be the place where you get to do that.
It's for everyone. Thanks for listening to Disrupt You. Have a question for the host? Just send that over to Dr. York via Twitter at Prof D York, and it could be featured on the show. We'll see you next week for another dive into the future of higher education.